welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. That's right, the Dodfather's back. Watch your back. Dodfather in the house. Uh, Dennis Dodd, Barton Simmons, Chip Patterson, the uh, gentlemen. We were we were just having a lively conversation, so I, I figured we should go ahead and get this on record. For, for some context here, Dennis was in the house in Columbus, so we are going to start as our launching point with everything we learned, all the takeaways. We're going to plant our flag in this Ohio State-Oklahoma game, and I want to start right with the panic in Columbus about the quarterback position and about Urban Meyer and this Ohio State offense. Shelly Meyer's off Twitter, y'all. It has gotten so dramatic that Urban Meyer's wife has decided to go dark on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so, Dennis, all right, you were, you were there. What was the reaction? Was the grumbling? Could you, could you sense it almost instantly uh, in the immediate aftermath of the game? I, I could only with the question in the post game uh, from to Urban Meyer, you know, are you thinking about changing quarterbacks? And he adamantly said no. That's where it first hit me, you know, because, you know, because really? I'll tell you where it, where it hit me. I, I did a, a radio hit Thursday, last Thursday in uh, 105.7 the zone early on. And they took a call from a guy who said, JT Barrett has to go because he, he quote unquote, can't lead us to the next level. And I looked at the host and he looked at me and we just kind of smiled. You know, here's a guy that's the all time leading pass, all time leader in touchdown passes, third leading passer, two time Big Ten quarterback of the year, has led them in the regular season to a national championship and a Big Ten title. Um, he's sort of all done all that, but. The, the sin of JT Barrett and jump in here, Barton, is that he's peaked. Um, you know, there, there just aren't fifth year seniors around anymore. They're either in the NFL, they've lost their jobs or they're not, you know, they're not playing. This yeah. is one of the few guys out there, you know, it, it, and I guess my, my point is it's, it's okay to peak, but it's not okay at Ohio state. Well, yeah. I, and what I would say that is, it's okay to peak, but it's not okay to peak at Ohio State if you've got the pieces for a national title. And yeah, you peaked at that Big Ten champion, kind of. You know, I mean, that's. Yeah. I think that's what's tough for Ohio State to navigate here is that they really. I mean, they have everything you could want to win a national title, but except, in my opinion, the quarterback position. And I think, in some ways, the the fact that he is a fifth year senior. And the fact that he does have a very like clear, distinct skill set and clear, distinct limitations in terms of his ability to throw the yeah. ball vertically and, and stretch the field, uh, stretch the defense. Uh, I think that those limit those limitations weren't as big of an issue when he was a redshirt freshman or when he was a redshirt sophomore because because he, he had weapons. He had, people he, had, he, had, he, had yeah. he probably had better weapons. Yeah, yeah. and and. I think other teams hadn't necessarily figured him out. It's like in the NFL when, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, RG3 can kill it year one, but then teams figure out how to stop him, how to defend him. Teams have absolutely gotten JT Barrett's numbered now defensively. Yep. They know how to defend him. And I think that now when you play a, an Oklahoma defense 
or you play a Michigan defense or a, a, a Clemson or an Alabama, they're, they've, they've got the keys. They, they've, they've got the blueprint. They understand how yep. to defend J.T. Barrett. And I think that's why Ohio State now is going to have a really hard time with J.T. Barrett taking that next national title step. You know, I'm not sure they have the weapons. Again, I, I think they can win the Big Ten. I, I think Ohio State's performance Saturday shows how, oh, <clears throat> maybe how watered down the Big Ten is this year. If that's a Big Ten championship team, then how good is it? But I, I, I think they, you know, I think they can do that. But I think teams have kind of figured him out. I agree. I don't know if against that defense, Oklahoma's defense, it shocked me how good they are, how well they can run, how good they can tackle in the Big Twelve. You know what? Look at that right now. What are they going to do against Michigan? Michigan's, I think, an elite defense. I think they are. Um, Penn State's an elite offense. What are they going to do again? You know, I'm, I'm just not sure if, if Ohio State's complete with or without JT Barrett. Well, Thoughts? doesn't doesn't yeah. um, doesn't Michigan have the same problem in terms of quarterback play? I mean, there's no uh, way they, there, there's they, no they way they that do. they do. Yeah, that, and that's why they yeah inconsistency, and that's why. I think at this moment Michigan can win the Big Ten just by slopping it around, you know, just getting enough, getting field position and playing it up, ugly enough, having Ohio State at home to uh, to win the Big Ten. That's way in the future, but no, you, your point's valid. What about um, what what about the the Ohio State defense? Do you consider that an elite defense on par with Michigan? Well, they got handled by. The biggest matchup in that game was Oklahoma's offensive line versus what is largely thought to be the best defensive line in the country, and they got handled by by uh, by Oklahoma's offensive line, which I think now must be considered the best offensive line in the country. I mean, you know, Orlando Brown, all those guys continual, you know, they protected Baker Mayfield. He could have run for a hundred yards, but wisely stayed in the pocket and hit a lot of those receivers that were open downfield. So, um, no, I, you know. Like, is it possible uh, Oklahoma's really good? Like, is it possible that Ohio State, a team that is playoff capable, maybe like they were a year ago uh, when they got blanked by Clemson, was not national title capable? And what we see is an Oklahoma team that could compete for a national title. Yeah, and I think that's been stated by me and others. that being said, something just popped into my head. You know, the loss in 14 to Virginia Tech, I think, in retrospect, was much worse than this. That was a 6-16. Six and 16. Uh, And those people, again, lost their minds at the time. What are we going to do? And, and look, Ohio State has to win out. It, I think it's a better Big Ten than it was in 2014. Um, that's why it was such a, you know, an earth-shaking result is that, wow, Ohio State might be out of it. And Oklahoma and the Big Twelve might be in it. What about Baker Mayfield planting the flag? Did you get all up in arms? Are you upset about I, it? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's like it's like anything. If it's caught on video, it conflates things. And you know, it's like he it. Well, I don't want to. You know, it's he was fired up and he he did something that may or may not have been very sporting, and he apologized for it. And we can move on. Um, you know, I, I, I just I just texted something. I, who's to say he didn't take his – does that happen if Chief Osceola, which is now a, a corporate-sponsored act 
fact that Florida State throws that flaming spear in the ground every game. Who's to say he didn't take his inspiration from that? Which, by the way, is one of the most revered traditions in college football. I don't know. Was it, was it you know, off the cuff and, and, and you know, I mean, right is away? It, isn't planting the flag just a, like, centuries-old barbaric yeah. tradition i mean it's yeah yeah i mean you earn that right when you go to the shoe and you win like yeah. That. yeah i just i chuckled because when i i was talking to bob stoops when it happened there was like this you know people going oh what's uh, he's planted the flag and i go what and i immediately thought it's artificial turf <laughs> he didn't plant anything <laughs> well how and is fact, coach stoops? fell to the ground so yeah, how is Coach Stoops? You got to spend some time with him while he was in the house, and he certainly got to come into the broadcast booth. There were some great photos of him and Lincoln Riley after the game. Yeah. Uh, what did you see uh, from, and what did you learn from the the recently retired head coach? Uh, he's totally relaxed. He's. I, I met him last Monday for breakfast in Norman. And he goes, "Yeah, meet me at this golf club at eight o'clock," and I go, "Okay." So I drove over there. It was just me and him on the back porch of this, you know, beautiful country club. Had coffee. Yeah, want breakfast? Yeah, okay. Um, And we just talked. And this was his day. He was going to have breakfast, go out to the trunk, get his shoes, hit some balls, work out. And, you know, whatever happens, the rest of the day happens. You know, he's about to be an empty nester with his two sons in high school. And, And I totally... You know, I don't think he's going to coach again. I, I take him at his word. He's going to be the guy, like he was Saturday night, that, that goes to Columbus and, and watches the Sooners in big games and stays out of the way, which is what he did. He made sure that, you know, I asked him if I could spend the, the first half in the booth with him. No, 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 I don't want to do that. He stood off to the side before and after the game. Baker Mayfield found him before the game to give him a hug. And, and that was it. You know, he wasn't the story. Uh, and I thought it was great. He's he's going to this is this is his life, guys. He may do TV, I think, but it's not going to be anything lasting where he does it for twenty years. It'll be something he does in his life. I, I think he's done. So I, I'm I am surprised more coaches don't do this. I think it's makes total sense. You go you 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 grind for a while. You make millions. You. You drive off into the sunset early and 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 live a good life. I am even more surprised that Bob Stoops is the one that that is doing it. Like I I don't yeah. know what it, I mean, he just seems like such a competitively wired person that it's shocking to me that he's content just sitting and watching and and you know hitting golf balls. Is yeah. is is my read on Stoops wrong or is 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 he? I mean, it just seems like it's hard for me to fathom that he's not going to get that competitive itch again. Yeah. No, and that, and that was part of my piece this week where I talked to people and asked, you know, can he do this? Could you do this? You know, other coaches. And, and part of the reason it remains so surprising, it's really hard to come up with a list of guys who are that accomplished at that age that you can envision just giving it up. Even, even a guy like, oh, uh, Mike Leach is – is his age. He's 56, you know, really good coach has never won a championship. So, you know, in that sense, he's not even in the Bob Stoops, um, you know, vertical, uh, you know, where he's got it all, got it going all together and just says, nah, I'm good. And and goes on. So no, it's, you have to see it to believe it, but sometimes you still can't believe it. 
What do you what have you seen? We haven't gotten to to talk with you here in a little bit. Where where are your have your eyes been and where have you been the most surprised uh maybe outside of Ohio State in terms of looking at uh the national of course you do your power rankings on cbssports.com yeah. every week. Uh because you wanna know why, Dennis, the people love numbers beside team names. The people love numbers yes, they beside do. team names. <laughs> so where have you where have you started to see movements? You know, where have you started to find yourself questioning some teams um, in terms of what you were thinking coming into the year and what you've learned from the first two weeks of action? Well, and we we all do this, you know, where you project ahead. Um, you know, I think that again, I mentioned it before. I think the Big Twelve's in this. Uh, I wrote. I already wrote this. Oklahoma's a, a sweep of Oklahoma State away from being in the playoff. Now that's a mouthful because Oklahoma the, State you know, is good. Yeah, the Oklahoma State's good. I, I question their defense. You know, because to win in that league, you're kind of have you kind of have an average defense. I'm not sure they even have that. You know, until they play somebody. Uh, but you know, they could afford quote unquote to lose the first meeting against Oklahoma State and then win in the championship game. And go in at twelve and one, I think they'd be fine. You know, I, I'm really curious about Louisville uh, this week against Clemson. If Lamar Lamar Jackson looks like he's every bit as good as he was last year, and to Barton's point, you know, people haven't figured him out. He was great against North Carolina. He's still that guy, and he's not the only one who thinks he can make every play. And there will be a point where he, you know, he has a stupid fumble or, or interception because he held on to the ball too long or something like that. But to me, he, him and Baker Mayfield are, are the two best players uh, right now. And then, and then I just have this weird feeling that, that Michigan can slop its way to a Big Ten title, whether that means they're in the playoff. And right now, it doesn't look like they will be. I, I can't see Michigan going undefeated or, or maybe even with two losses um, that I, I think they can get there. Um, and all the, gosh, dang, all the trash talking, the planning, the flag. I thought the, the James Franklin line about Akron was awesome. I mean, look, <laughs> we're not, we're not talking about North Korea here. I, I, I just love this stuff. I'm with you. I love it too. <laughs> and it's 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 great to have some personalities out there. That's what I like about Baker Mayfield. We talked about it the other day. Yeah. The way he's he's just fun, you know, and, and the other teams may hate him, but good. They're supposed to hate him. Yeah. You know, so he, he's uh, a great yeah. and he's a great look, we can criticize him for uh, you know, the drunk thing in February, whatever, you know. Um, but this stuff is just he's just a college football player. Uh, did you see the did you see the uh, apparently there's a report out there that he was going back and forth with some drunk Ohio State fans, and it's 3-3 at the beginning of the second half, and he goes, watch out, or 10-3 Ohio State. He goes, look out, I'm, I'm about to drop six on you MFers. <laughs> and and then he comes back and went, after it's tied and goes, I'm going to have three or four yeah, more just yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, that's it. That to, to call that your shot, awesome. yeah, call your shot, and then come back and say, oh, yeah, I've got three or four more where that came from. Yeah. Even, if that was, even if that was embellished, I, I still love the story. Because you never know in that, you know, with 100,000 people. And, oh, yeah, I heard, you know. And my buddy Ian Fitzsimmons from ESPN Radio said that, so I trust him. Dennis, who's going to come out of uh, the Pac-12 this year? Is, is I mean, are you are you back on the USC train after what they did to Stanford? Or can Washington get it done? Or, or is UCLA going to get on a roll here? That, that conference yeah. is starting to, to be interesting to, to watch. 
Yeah, they had a great first week, eleven and zero, um, and then USC righted itself, as you said. Yeah, I, I, I think this is going to come down to that. What I thought it would come down to at the beginning of the season, two trains, you know, going at each other at 100 miles an hour in the champ game, Washington and USC, because they don't play in the regular season. Yeah. And so that that could be a very high profile winner take all playoff game or, uh, you know, quarterfinal, I guess, for the for the Pac-12 title. Uh, You know, USC, I think, should shouldn't have any problem with Texas this week. Even though, even though Texas is, you know, undefeated in uh, in games against USC, uh, or, or I'm sorry, USC is undefeated in games against Texas. We know that now, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's you right. saw that story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what was that that they they uh, t- tell that story? Well, they, like they're beating well, guy they, or something. Yeah, they USC had to vacate <clears throat> all those wins in the Reggie Bush case. Okay, that's typical. Alabama vacated a bunch of wins. Uh, some of them during uh, Nick Saban's era at Alabama for that textbook thing. Anyway, that's typical. But in USC's notes this week, they said they were 4-0 and all time against Texas because the, the championship game didn't count per the NCAA. And I said, wait a minute, that's not right. Well, sure enough, Jim Wright, Jungle Jim Wright, the old uh, head of statistics uh, for, the, for the NCAA, now retired, had told USC years ago that the results don't count. In other words, uh, USC was 0-0 for the 2005 season. And I'd never heard that. I always thought the wins got taken away. Yeah, the record I, I, books. I, too. I did too. I, I don't know what the, what, what the worth is in vacating the seat, you know, losses. I don't know what that does. But, but Tim Tesalone, the SID at USC, claims to have documentation from, from Jim Wright that this, in fact, is the case. And so they list that as 4-0. Uh, and, and to be fair, in their notes, they they they're consistent about all that um, against other when they list games with other uh, with other teams. So we all know what happened. Uh, that I, I have to dig down and find out why the entire you know season was vacated. I, I understand the the BCS. You know, there's no champion for that year because they took the championship trophy away. I get Reggie Bush's Heisman. I don't quite understand this. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm starting to be a little bit concerned about Washington. I can't get a good read on them. And you're, you've right. got a great point about their schedule, but I'm less impressed with Jake Browning every single time I watch him play. Yeah, yeah. And Alabama seemed to figure him out. They cut the head off the snake in that playoff game. Their best player is Dante Pettis. The oh yeah. To, to get the the opposition to punt, he's got seven seven kick returns for a score in his career second this year he already has um and they still have to go into the meat of of their schedule i i just you know it's not going to be that magical uh season last year where they kind of burst onto the scene is is washington because i think i think chip because of jake browning i I think guys will have figured him out a little bit what's your read uh we're gonna be taking a, a closer look at uh, Tennessee and Florida with 24-7 Sports' Thomas Goldcamp here in just a second. What's your read on Clemson-Louisville? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I I think Clemson, because that that defense, defense always travels, you know, to coin a cliche. And it's really, really good. And look, Lamar Jackson, to me, is going to have to be a thrower beat them as a thrower and that's what Clemson's going to have to hang its hat on 
Um, beat us with your arm. He just might do it because, as I've said, he's improved. He's made that leap from one year to the next. I don't think Clemson is going to let him get out there and spin out of tackles and make plays like North Carolina did. I might be wrong. But if, if Louisville's best chance is, is Lamar Jackson as a thrower, I still like Clemson to make enough plays with Kelly Bryant uh, to win that game. So, And I, I might be totally wrong. Louisville might win by, by four touchdowns, but that's no the way, way it looks to me right now. What, what do you guys think? What about you, Barton? I, I'm, I'm with you, Dennis. Like, I, I can't – this is – yes, I think Louisville has obviously the playmaker quarterback to, to make this thing interesting, but Clemson's still going to throw a, a bunch of playmakers at you, and you better yeah. be able yeah. to stop them a few times. And I don't know that I have faith – and I, I have faith in Clemson getting some stops because that defensive front is exactly no. – they're like built exactly how you would want them to be built to, to compete against Lamar Jackson. Yeah, but but can can Louisville stop Clemson? And I don't I don't see that that happening consistently enough for them to pull an upset here. Um, I'll be I'll, I'll be pretty pretty shocked if, if yeah. Louisville wins this one. But I mean, hey, Lamar Jackson's done some pretty crazy things before. Well, so. there's so, there's something to be said for Clemson. Let's say holding the ball for 35 minutes and winning 20 to 14. You know, making it real. I don't want to say boring, but just yeah. kind of taking the air out of it on the road, which has been a Bill Snyder MO for years. You know, if you're outmanned, limit the possessions and make every possession of the of the uh, favored opposition count where they can't make mistakes. And that may be the situation for, for Louisville. I think we're going to have a major downgrade from a major, major downgrade from Auburn's defensive front to Louisville's. But in yeah. that Auburn game, there were only two drives of significance for Clemson's offense. Uh, a lot of three and out, a lot of five and out. Uh, there was the, you know, and Dabo Sweeney even said the, that last touchdown drive before halftime was like 10 plays, 88 yards. Like that was, that was about as well executed as it could be. And that was really what turned the game. Come back after halftime, lead another one. But for the most part, this Clemson offense is still figuring itself out. I think that yeah. the last thing that Clemson wants is to be is to get into a shootout, and I am curious to see if they're going to be able to sustain drives because with their skill, position, talent, and with Louisville's potential leakiness on defense, this could end up getting into a shootout real quick. And that's where I'm going to go back to Death Valley last year. Clemson's up 28 to 10, yeah. and then all of a sudden Lamar Jackson just catches fire and starts leading them back. I'm. I'm with you. I mean, my pick is Clemson. I think that they win it. Uh, you know, they win it on fourth down with a sack of Lamar Jackson. But uh, it's this is huge. This was the game that kept Louisville. Like Louisville was seven and one in the ACC last year. The only loss being to Clemson, who was mm-hmm. seven and one. So the Cardinals were one game, one play away from being able to be the team in the ACC championship game instead of the Tigers, who would then go on to win the national championship. I, I think this one's huge. That's a great point. That's a great point. This yeah. is, and now they're, at, now they're at home. Yeah, and we and we remember uh, Louisville in a different way because of the, the losses to Houston, Kentucky, and LSU, but yeah. they were almost in that ACC championship game. Um, so I'm, I, I'm fascinated to see how this plays out. You know, this game is – 
a big game for Peter Sermon, the defensive coordinator yeah. at Louisville. Who, you know, the Mississippi State was pretty pretty leaky last year on defense. He comes in, you know, switches jobs with Todd Grantham, and I think that this is this is where he's got to earn his money to to just give give Lamar Jackson a chance. And uh, I don't know, spotlight for me is going to be on, on Peter Sermon. That's good. Yeah, if it is a shootout, you know, obviously. Louisville has the best playmaker in the game at home, so it would favor them. As I said, I think Clemson will do everything to keep it from being that tempo-wise. What's uh, what's your read on Tennessee, Florida? Can you figure either of these teams out? Yeah, no. Um, to get, get rid of the trash can first. Uh, maybe a <laughs> maybe a maybe a throw-up bag from an airliner or something, but uh, get rid of that. Um, no, I Florida. A story I want to do is just the the psychological impact of Irma on all these Florida teams, you know, Florida hasn't played in a week. Um, you know, how, how into it will those fans be? You would figure a lot, but, uh, they, they're God hard to watch offensively, good defensively, Tennessee, more, more well-rounded. I mean, we can talk about Butch till the cows come home, but they have a more better overall team. I think it's just a question of what, will he be able to get that out of them? in a rivalry game on the road. What about, you know, Butch obviously is, is a coach that I don't know if he's on the hot seat or not. Like it's sort of, there's some gray (laughs) area there. Like, is he on the hot seat? Like, what do you think, Dennis? He's not, he's, I'll tell you why he's not. It would take, it would literally take something like four and eight. You know, first of all, he'd have a $12 million buyout after this season. Okay. It, it, for for a booster or boosters to scratch that check, it's going to have to take a four and eight, and yeah. I don't think they're going four and eight or or even five and seven. Now next year it goes down to what eight million? Yeah, yeah, it starts to become. And they don't improve, it becomes a little bit more palatable. But that look, that's and it's John Curry's first season. And, you know, obviously it's first year. He didn't hire Butch Jones, but he's been nothing but supportive. Publicly and privately, frankly, there's no there's no indication that he's on the hot seat at all from the, the highest levels of administration. What, what about and, and, and thank God and thank God they beat Georgia Tech, by the way. Oh, yeah, that yeah, that was a, That was a must win um, around the country. There are a couple coaches, though, that are, you know, uh, things are starting to heat up a little bit. Uh, Kevin Sumlin's the obvious one. It, it, anything else on your radar from a from a coaching change standpoint that's that's already rearing its head two weeks into the year? Yeah, Missouri, um, uh, Brett Bielma, uh, both in the uh, both in the same conference. Uh, Barry Odom at Missouri, you know the the new AD didn't hire him. Jim Sterk and the the de- he fired his defensive coordinator this week in week two, yeah. and it's just a mess. They got outclassed by South Carolina. I. I don't know how long that's going to last, especially with a $98 million football facility coming online. The AD has landed, Jim Sterk is fantastic, has landed the five biggest donations in, in uh, athletic department history. To you know, to be out front of that, you have to have a good football program. You just have to. Um, and that will be the pressure more than anything else there. Brett Bielma, you know, is, is the shine wearing off? I, you know, that, that was a bad performance against great for TCU in the Big 12. But really bad for Arkansas, even considering that Raleigh Williams has retired from football. That was bad. They got out physical. 
They they yes. were it was TCU in Arkansas and one team brought the wood to the other and it was not the Hogs. It was yeah. not good. Um, he so is, I th- I'd, look, I'd look at those two. Yeah, he is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS uh, for all of the latest musings from around college football. Dennis, thank you so much. All right, thanks guys. Thanks, Dennis. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined twenty million this season. Those two guys alone will make thirteen million more than the entire MAC. When it comes to underwear, uh, you want to look good, but you also want to feel comfortable, right? Right, Barton? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, want, I guess I want to look good in my undies. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, this sometimes the perfect balance is hard to find. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to sacrifice style. You want to, you want to look good uh, all the way down to your skin, but you want to also be able to be comfortable when you got all your clothes on. And me undies, me undies might have found that perfect sweet spot. They have the best pair of underwear in the world. See, me undies will be the most comfortable pair of underwear that you will own. They're made from a sustainably sourced, naturally soft fabric that is three times softer than cotton. You may feel naked, but you won't look naked. No, you'll still have underwear on. Uh, It's got soft, eco-friendly fabric, just soft and touchable, and it's a 100% satisfaction guarantee. They guarantee you will love your undies or your money back. And right now, MeUndies has an exclusive offer for the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast listeners. You get 20% off your first pair and free shipping. And MeUndies is so sure you will love their underwear. They even have that 100% satisfaction guarantee. I mean, this is no-brainer to try. 20% off, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So what are you waiting for? To get your 20% off, free shipping, and the satisfaction guarantee for the best and softest underwear you will ever own go to meundies.com slash cfb that's meundies.com slash cfb it's not that hard cfb college football we are your favorite college football podcast it's a limited time offer do not wait start wearing the best underwear of your life um it will change your life just go to meundies.com slash cfb right now it's getting a little hot in here chip no, sensual, <laughs> sensual, sensual with uh, when you want to when you want to look naked, but but not feel naked. Uh, that's good stuff. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's let's bring on Thomas Goldcamp. We're getting into specifics. Game breakdown. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, game breakdown. You would take it. Breaking down the game. And now it is our pleasure to welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, noted friend of the show, repeat guest, Thomas Goldcamp from 24-7 Sports. Uh, Thomas, you uh, you have been grinding hard even by candlelight, but you have power back, and we are happy that football is back in Gainesville. The game, of course, if you miss the announcement, uh, will be held as scheduled 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's the SEC Game of the Week. Gary Danielson, Brad Nessler, Allie LaForce, the big CBS, the eye. It's in the swamp. Uh, it's it's nice to have a little return to normalcy, isn't it? Absolutely, man. We've, we've gone through a lot this week. Thankfully, uh, things weren't worse in Gainesville or the rest of the state than they probably could have been. And uh, I know the, the Florida players and coaches are certainly itching to get one in, and the fans are 
kind of ready to wash out that taste from the Michigan game. So we'll see what happens. So what's been the uh, the the um, did the team stay on campus or what have what have the players and coaches been doing in this long uh, this long time off? through the hurricane basically since that Michigan game. What have you been able to tell uh, the vibe from the team given the change to the schedule? Well, obviously it's been a little bit of a distraction. You know, Florida called its game against Northern Colorado on Thursday. Um, you know, so players went to getting about, you know, making sure they had all the supplies they needed for the storm. Florida staff did a very good job, you know, making sure that they were able to come through the facilities and pick up what they needed. Uh, so from that standpoint, they weren't necessarily searching for things like some of the rest of us. Um, but you know, the storm didn't actually roll through until very early Monday morning. So there were a few days in there where I'm sure that they were, you know, getting some, some early game planning in on Tennessee. They didn't practice yesterday on Monday, uh, or sorry, on Monday. Um, but they did get back to the field yesterday, um, and, and start working on Tennessee. So a little bit different in terms of game prep. They had one last day, so to speak, but you know, they were kind of looking ahead, not having a game this weekend. So I don't think that the, uh, you know, the distraction factor will necessarily be very big in this game. Um, but, you know, obviously guys are dealing with their families back home kind of getting hit in a lot of areas. And so, you know, it, it's definitely a factor. Uh, I just don't know how big it'll be. What was behind the potential moving of the game site? Was that a was that a roads issue, an infrastructure issue? Was that a Gainesville issue? What, what, what was what was being considered there? Yeah, I think two things mostly, um, you know, gas wise in Gainesville have been very hard to come by. Uh, I've seen statistics uh, based on this Gas Buddy app that, you know, Gainesville's been the uh, the hardest hit place in the state in terms of gas shortages just because, you know, it's on the, the major route north um, on I-75 where everybody's kind of stopped through Gainesville. There's not much on either side. Uh, so that was the, the primary issue. You know, you don't want people trying to come to the game and not being able to get out because of gas shortages. Um, and then I think that, you know, the other real big issue was whether or not Florida would have the staffers uh, from the standpoint of emergency personnel, first responders, if you really put this thing on safely, because they use about 3,300 personnel to staff a game of this size. And, and obviously you don't want to tax those resources if they're really needed to look after shelters, you know, kind of patching up things here and there in, in different parts of the state. I know Jacksonville was hit pretty hard with flooding. Um, but after looking at everything with the city, I think Florida felt like, you know, economic impact, all of that, they, they felt like the, the resources would not necessarily be strained to the point where it wouldn't be on, you know, where it would be unsafe necessarily to host a game. That's kind of what went into it. I think once the storm passed through, you know, seeing the minimal impact to Gainesville itself, I think it was pretty clear this game was going to be played here. So what's, what's, is, is it possible that with all this time off, we're going to see a, uh, a spark in Florida's offense. I mean, that's that's where all of the conversation about this Gators football team, whether it should start there or whether there are other concerns that are masked by this. Um, you know, we saw in the Michigan game, certainly they had their hands full with a phenomenal Michigan defense that was fast and hungry and flying around. Uh, what are your expectations at the quarterback position and from the offense in general? Well, I think that's absolutely 100% you know, rightfully the focus. I mean, you can't be this bad on offense in year three as a head coach uh, when you're an offensive guy that was brought in to fix the offense. Uh, will we see a spark in Florida? I, I would expect so. I think that, you know, Michigan had a really good defense, and I think that their strengths really aligned with Florida's weaknesses uh, in such a way that Michigan kind of dominated that game. 
Um, now, if Michigan doesn't have one of the best defensive lines in the country, then, yeah, Florida's probably in trouble uh, because that was the primary issue. Florida could not get its quarterback home, could not run the ball, and those were the same issues that we saw a year ago. Um, having said that, I think Tennessee definitely has some issues in the front seven. Uh, you know, they, they've been tested a little bit in the run game. So if Florida's offensive line can't generate some push up front and, and really run the ball a little bit this week, uh, I think there are major, major issues for Florida going forward. Um, but I would expect that they'll have a little bit more success this week. Uh, I do think that Florida going back and watching the pace from that Michigan game is probably going to trust Felipe Franks a little bit more. I thought it was a little surprising that they didn't opt to kind of air it out a little bit more with him because that is his strength. You go back and look at his, uh, you know, his stat line. He was only five for nine throwing the ball. But then you start to look at the incompletions, and he had two passes that were perfect um, that were broken up by very good Michigan defensive plays. He had one throw away that was a smart move. So you're really only looking at one throw that he kind of missed on. I think Florida sees that, goes back to it on tape, and, and really says, hey, Felipe, this is your game. Go ahead and make some plays, and we're going to trust you this game. And if they don't, I think Florida's coaches are probably approaching this game well. Well, where are we at with all the suspensions? Are we, do we have, is that, are they commented on it? Are we, do we feel like we're going to see some Antonio Callaway? What's going on there? Well, we'll certainly ask Jim McElwain uh, today when we meet with him. Obviously, we haven't had much media here in the last week uh, sure. with, with the storm kind of rolling through. Um, but basically, the situation is those guys are all still under investigation by the university police and the Gainesville Police Department uh, for their role in this, you know, big credit card fraud scheme. And until that investigation wraps up, I don't know that we should expect any of these Florida players to be back. And so for now, they're still indefinitely suspended, and I would put their likelihood of playing this weekend pretty low. Mm. How much of that is a – what do you think the impact of that is? Because in, in a way, it's hard to really tell how much of that impacted Florida in the Michigan game because Michigan was so dominant on defense – that it's hard to imagine that the offense would have just opened up if, if they had Antonio Callaway or Jordan Scarlett or whoever. Is, in yeah, your opinion, yeah. as, they, as they face a defense that's a little bit more um, human in Tennessee, <laughs> what, what do you think the impact of having those guys out, you know, a couple weeks in will have? Well, I would say this. I mean, you know, you lose your two best offensive playmakers. I don't care what offense you are, you know, how good or how bad you are. Um, that, that hurts. I think the bigger impact down the road is going to be, you know, if these guys are out for multiple games, uh, your depth starts to get tested when you have injuries. And I think particularly at linebacker and offensive tackle, those are the two spots where, you know, if if you're going, you know, halfway through the season and these guys are still out, you're going to see some real fall off there if there are any injuries. But in terms of offensive playmakers, I mean, yeah, not having Jordan Scarlett in the run game, really hurts. Not having a guy that defenses have to plan around in Antonio Cowell in, in the passing game, that really hurts. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. Those are two guys that a young quarterback can definitely lean on. And frankly, Felipe Franks hadn't had the luxury because two guys went out and made some dumb mistakes. And, uh, you know, until that investigation gets wrapped up, Florida's just going to continue to have to deal with that. With Tennessee, uh, as you've been scouting them and putting together previews uh, for the site, What's like we saw both Quentin Dormany and Jarrett Guarantano play significant snaps against Indiana State. It was Indiana, Indiana State, but uh, do you what are you expecting to see from this Tennessee team from whatever you've learned from Indiana State and Georgia Tech so far? 
Well, I think, you know, if, uh, if I'm Tennessee, I'm looking at what Florida did against Michigan, and I think you see some potential ways to attack this secondary in terms of really running some route combos that would confuse the safeties. You know, Florida's got some young safeties. I think that's where you take advantage of them. You look at playmakers like Marquez Callaway, um, I, I think Tennessee has some potential to disrupt this Florida defense in terms of communication and create some butt. That's really what I'd be trying to target if I was Tennessee. Florida's very strong in the front seven, so I don't necessarily see the ball just setting up and kind of running the ball all day. Um, I, I think you've got to trust your quarterback and maybe take some shots, and especially with Tennessee's offensive line being kind of a veteran unit that can pass protect. I, I think you're you're trying to take some shots downfield, create some big play explosives in the passing game, and, and really get after a secondary that has some question marks still, in my opinion. You know, that that's – the one thing that Florida was able to do well against Michigan is 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 create some big plays out of the secondary. You know, turn turn interceptions into touchdowns. Had a couple pick sixes. You know, Quentin Dormady is a quarterback that is still getting settled in in his first year as a starter. Um, you know, I, I guess do do you think that this is a secondary that's grown up quickly um, that has a chance to to continue to to be the you know, a unit that Florida leans on because, as you mentioned, the front seven is pretty solid. Um, Tennessee may test these guys again. Is Mark is is uh, Marco Wilson and you know these these other young guys that are starting to get you know thrown into the fire? Are, are these guys you feel like going to be ready at this point? Yeah, I think there's some real talent there. I think you know the starting five in the secondary is is uh, well, among the best in the league, probably in terms of sheer talent. Now, the question for Florida, you know, I kind of pointed out, I think, is communication in the back end. If you can throw some wrinkles at them that they hadn't necessarily seen on film and those guys aren't communicating well, that's where I think you see the potential for bust. Um, The other thing, you know, and I kind of hit on this earlier overall, is the depth. You know, if you have a guy go down in the secondary, immediately at Tennessee, that's where you're targeting that new guy coming in because the drop-off from that starting five is pretty steep in terms of, you know, what, what the, the guys that are going to come in and fill in the spots bring to the table. Um, so, uh, you know, if Tennessee sees a guy come up for air or something like that and he goes out, you got to be thrown at that guy, in my opinion. That, that to me, is the one thing you really look for. Um, and then try to try to do some route combinations. Florida really struggled with rubs and pick routes. Those kind of things, I think, uh, you know, you can have some success with if you're Tennessee. Thomas, what's at stake in this game? Like, what's – what happens if Florida loses and starts 0-2 and, and with the SEC loss to Tennessee? I, I feel like Jim McElwain, for having two SEC championship, SEC East championships, uh, is is somehow continues to be kind of on shaky ground and not fully, you know, supported by the S- the Florida fan base. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious, just what you think? How? how important this game is, what's at stake, what the landscape looks like with a win or a loss. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I've had this question put to me a bunch of times this week, and I think the biggest thing for me is fan, or I guess people outside of Florida's fan base struggle to come to terms with how Jim McElwain could possibly be on or even near the hot seat, given the fact that he's the only coach in SEC history to reach the SEC championship game in his first two seasons. And what I've been saying is basically 
Florida fans feel like those SEC East division titles are a hollow accomplishment at this point. And the reason for that is, you know, they've beaten up on a weak SEC East. You know, no matter how you slice it, 13-3 and three is very good in the SEC. Nobody's trying to take that away. The problem is when you do that against a weak division and then you get to the end of the year and you're playing Florida State and Alabama and you're not even competitive, you know, Florida hasn't scored an offensive touchdown against FSU in two years. That's where the fan base has a real issue because at Florida, you expect to be able to compete with anybody. You know, the, the, the expectation is that eventually you're going to compete with these elite teams. And the reason I think the fan base is so upset right now is that Florida had eight months to prepare for Michigan. They had eight months to figure out some offensive wrinkles, you know, to do whatever they could to go attack Michigan and, and be competitive in a game against an elite team. And they came out and they just, frankly, they had the wrong game plan. The offense didn't look like it had any sort of progress made from the previous year. And so Florida fans are feeling like they're not moving forward in year three under Jim McElwain. So how big is this game? I mean, this game's huge. You know, Florida blew an 11-game winning streak against Tennessee last year. You compound that with a second loss to Tennessee at home uh, to start the season 0-2. And, uh, you know, I'm not even sure beginning of the end is the right term for that. I think we're beyond that if Florida ends up losing this Tennessee game. Wow. Yeah, I feel like it's it's it sounds like it's huge if they lose, <laughs> but if they win, it's like all right, well, yeah, you won. You're supposed to win, bro. Like, like at that, yeah, I yeah. get the sense he doesn't get he didn't get much more rope if he comes out of this with a W. Not necessarily. No, I mean if you fix things and you, you know you steamroll Tennessee, sure you get a lot, you get a lot right. more rope. Right. Um, but no, I, the, the big thing for Jim McElwain at this point is. You, you, you can't operate long-term with a fan base that is toxic. And Florida is very, very close to being toxic and, and impossible to overcome in terms of you know recruiting and all that if, if you don't straighten things out pretty quickly. Do you think that this SEC East, from what you've seen so far, is, is still uh, a division that Florida can win? I think it's a lot tougher this year, top to bottom. Um, you know, I, I, South Carolina is really improving. Um, we don't really know about Tennessee yet. I think they're, you know, probably take a step back just in terms of overall talent from a year ago. Georgia looked pretty good, man. They, you know, I know Notre Dame is not necessarily an elite team right now, but, um, you know, that, that's a team that's got some answers. So I, I think top to bottom it's going to be tougher to uh, – I, I don't think there are any guaranteed wins necessarily in the SEC this year where maybe there were a year ago in the East. So, I, you know, I think it's going to be tough. Do you have a uh, do you have a game score prediction for Florida Tennessee? I, I think this game comes down to which defensive line kind of takes over. Um, you know, Tennessee's offensive line is a relative strength, so is Florida's defensive line. Um, so whoever wins that matchup is going to be very interesting. Um, I, I also think you know the real question for me is is how good was Michigan? You know, if that's truly an elite team, that's one of the top ten teams in the country. You know, that's probably a defensive line that Florida won't see again all year unless you play maybe Alabama or something. Um, so who wins in the trenches is going to be really big. I, I think Vegas actually probably has it about right uh, in terms of having Florida as about a five-point favorite. I think that Florida's had enough time to figure out what went wrong in that Michigan game um, that I would be surprised to see the same kind of game plan. Um, I think Florida will try to get it into the hands of these wide receivers a little bit more, a lot quicker. And then I think, you know, defensively, I think that they probably found their footing a good bit in that Michigan game, especially late. So I like Florida by about five points, something like that. All right. Thomas, the, the, 
before we let you go, I'm kind of so part of my read on this game. Like I think Florida wins too, uh, but I also part think part of the reason is like there will be a little bit of um, you know play for the state. Like we've been through a lot. Let's focus in. Let's batter down the hatches. Um, you know, a, a lot of times these sort of um, outside distractions end up bringing a team together. Is there? Do you have any sense of that going on right now, or is that um, is that not necessarily a vibe you get from this this the distractions and, and all that's gone on the last week and a half? I mean, that's always a possibility. We haven't been around the team in more than a week. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of hard to say. I mean, we'll, we'll meet with some uh, some players and coaches today. Um, I, you know, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think, you know, I would expect the swamp, even if it's not quite 90,000 to capacity, it's going to be loud, man. I mean, it's, it's going to be a very raucous environment. There's no doubt the fans and players alike are ready to get back on the field. You know, it's been a weird week. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would expect Florida to come out ready to play. The real question mark with Florida is they've been such a momentum team. They're so young. Can Tennessee disrupt things early and get after it? And if they can, I think it becomes a very long kind of grinding game for Florida. Um, I think early momentum in this one is going to be huge, whichever team can go out and steal it. He is Thomas Goldcamp. You can follow him on Twitter at Thomas Goldcamp. That's G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P. He's going to be on the scene. He's going to be talking to players later today, so you want to be sure you get the latest on him and the Gators at 24-7 Sports. Thomas, you're the best. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Our thanks to Dennis Dodd. Our thanks to Thomas Goldcamp. Um, Again, make sure that you watch the SEC on CBS um, the Tennessee Florida game. It's going to be, it's Barton. I like your question. That was a very good question. We don't always, uh, you know, we, we try to make these questions natural, but what's at stake probably was my biggest takeaway there. Yeah. That's so funny. Like you can, you can almost ask that every week with Florida, like just because Jim McElwain is in such a bizarre situation as a, a two time defending sec East champ who, is just constantly uh, on call for like, you know, getting something done. Like just like I, I just think it's just a it's just a weird dynamic there. And uh, and this game in particular, coming off that Michigan game, is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. So uh, that will be that'll be fun to watch. So just a reminder, CBS Sports is streaming the SEC Game of the Week every Saturday at 3.30 Eastern Time. This weekend, check out number 24, Florida, hosting number 23, Tennessee, in Gainesville. It will be played in Gainesville. We're expecting a very, very crazy atmosphere. And you can stream it for free on CBSSports.com or the CBS Sports app for tablets and phones. Uh, before We will be doing our picks with Tom Fernelli for Saturday um, let's see, Illinois at South Florida, South Florida favored by 17 and a half. This is, uh, this, the Bulls don't have a tremendously tough schedule. They have been, mm, you know, they've, they've had to, to, to claw a little bit in their first two games against, uh, Stony Brook and San Jose state. What do you think uh, the fighting Illini are going to be able to do showing up to town? You know, I, I, I watched, Illinois game against why well, now I'm blanking on who they played last week. Uh, golly. Well, they won last week and, and I can't even remember who they're playing, but I was, I was, focused it was, wet, on no, it was Western Kentucky. 
Western Kentucky. Yeah, they 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 made Mike White look like a uh, a bum. I mean, they they were defensively, they were impressive, and I you know I think that they're really improved this year under Lovey Smith, and they're playing a bunch of freshmen. Like they're they got freshmen all over the place. Uh, so I don't know. I think they've taken a real step forward, and and the the my my issue with this game is has when is USF going to roll somebody? Like when are they just going to just just come out of the gates and just all guns firing and and just put up 50 on someone and and and, and, and cruise cuz Qu- yeah, Quentin Flowers is too good for us not to get a 49 to 10 runaway win. At some point. It's right. just the question is whether it's this week. I don't see it being this week because I again, I think Illinois defensively is is really active. They they give you a lot of different looks. They they'll make things tough on that offense. And I don't I think that they're too young to understand that they're supposed to lose this game. Uh, I like Illinois to cover this game, USF to win. Um, but you know I, I don't know. It's hard to trust USF right now one way or the other. You can if you just feel like there's a, a blowout in them somewhere, but they just got done barely beating Stony Brook and. It took a big second half to 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 make that look like normal between a, yeah, 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 the yeah. San Jose State game, uh, and and not to be too you know transitive property about things, but God, Texas just absolutely crushed San Jose State. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 I that's a long way of saying I'm picking Illinois. Yeah, picking Illinois to cover the spread as well. I'm I'm just not trusting of the Bulls right now. Thursday night. Uh, New Mexico and Boise State. New Mexico taking it on the chin. New Mexico State last week. Boise State, of course, in that triple overtime game against Washington State. Um, I, I will. I'm. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to watching this game so that I can. Uh, I can. I can see the beginning of the Mountain West race, which should be a lot of fun. Because we've also got San Diego State and Stanford coming up on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, you know the. The Boise State just playing Washington State, who, who just throws it around the yard and coming in and playing New Mexico right back to back, who runs it right at you. That's a little bit of a difficult transition for them, and they're ca- they're catching a lot of points. Fifteen State is, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I like New Mexico to cover that as well. Where's that game? Oh, it's in Boise. Yeah, uh, weeknights at home. I don't know. I mean, weeknight off the triple overtime. Like, right? Yeah, I I just don't see, especially if it was uh, like not not. I mean, I know the people love the lines, but like if this was on the thirteen and a half side of it, like you know, key numbers. This thing was under two touchdowns. I think that I would uh, maybe consider Boise but I don't want to have to lay more than two touchdowns on a short turnaround against a team that's going to run the ball well what where are we at on Brett Rippon's status as a a quarterback is he still injured because they they had some some with Cozart in there the last week against Washington State it's there pretty were awesome some, some issues um, <laughs> no it was awesome it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> Mozart Cozart was out here just composing. <laughs> He's just living all the dreams that he couldn't live at Kansas. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go. I, I'm seeing Brett Rippon is is at the uncertain status. Yeah. I guess the questionable status right now, which again I think I'll I'll, I'll take all those points and take New Mexico, with Tom Fernelli's squad, and uh, uh, I'll pick them to cover on the road. All right, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you subscribe to the 24/7 Sports College Football Podcast because subscribers get them first. Martin, thank you very much. Right. <laughs>